0: Uh, Good morning and welcome. If you're new here, my name is Steve and I'm one of the pastors here and I get to bring God's word to us today. So glad that you are here. You can tell we're uh, in the middle of a remodel project in this room. It's coming along well and uh, there may be a day, I'll keep you posted on this if you're a new lifer, where there may be a window of time where this old carpet is all rolled up and thrown in the dumpster and the new carpet hasn't been laid yet and we can come in get a bunch of um, Sharpies, a bunch of permanent markers and write scriptures and prayers all over the floor. I've heard of several churches that have done this, kind of laying the foundation of the word and prayer, right? So the next generation, 20 years from now, when they rip the carpet up, they'll go, wow, those guys back in 2019 were really people of faith. This is awesome. So anyway, I'll let you know if that uh, happens, and I hope that it will. In your worship folder in the center panel there, it talks a little bit about our upcoming Um, eight great days of prayer and fasting that starts next weekend and uh, I hope that you're just beginning to kind of prepare your heart for that and asking the Lord to lay some prayer burdens on your heart so you can begin thinking about uh, what he would have you be praying for and and we are together going to be seeking God by faith to do impossible things and we know that that pleases him. When we ask him things like that. So please be thinking and praying about that. That week's going to culminate on Saturday night that week in a night of uh, musical worship and prayer and testimonies. At 6 o'clock on the 28th. I hope you'll mark your calendar for that and be here. It's going to be a great time. We are going to provide child care for that ages 10 and under. We just need to know that you're bringing your kids, okay? So we make sure we have enough people to watch over them. So you can register online at enewlife.com for that. Now, I'm gonna ask you to take the study guide out of your worship folder, because I've got a sermon for you today, and uh, yeah, somebody's excited about that, it's on faith. (laughs) And we're exploring together this subject of faith by looking into the great faith chapter of the Bible, which is Hebrews chapter 11, but to do it well, we're reaching back some into Hebrews 10, Make sure we're reading things in context, and we're also extending forward a little bit into chapter 12, because it's there we meet the one who is called the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ himself. Well, what is faith? Faith is having a strong confidence that the things you cannot see with your physical eyes are nevertheless really real, because God says they are real. In other words, faith is trust in the truthfulness of what God says, the truthfulness of the Word of God, believing in unseen realities, and many of those unseen realities are yet future for the people of God. We're going to see that in Hebrews 11. There are things yet to come that we can't see right now, and yet we have faith that they are real, right? That God promised them to us. And we believe we will see those things and we will have those things and we will possess those things when it is time, when it is his time. And when we have that kind of certainty in our hearts, that we will indeed receive everything that God has promised to us, then it's going to affect how we live our lives in the here and now. It's going to affect today. It has to. One man put it this way, faith is living with eternity in view. Faith is living now in light of forever. Faith is living today as if heaven was really real. But what does that look like? How does that kind of faith show up in our day-to-day lives, in our attitudes, in our outlook, in our choices and decisions we make? That's what Hebrews 11 shows us. And last week I read the entire passage. Remember that? And from that I... I, I um, showed the the examples there of of the people of faith in Hebrews 11, and I identified five ways that faith shows up in people's lives, five expressions of living faith. Here they are again, confident assurance in the face of the invisible, continual seeking in the face of the impossible, complete reliance upon God in the face of the intangible, Courageous obedience in the face of the incomprehensible and continuing perseverance in the face of the intolerable. Last week, I attempted to show you how Jesus Christ himself was the epitome and the embodiment of each of these, that he was the consummate man of faith. That's why in chapter 12, he's called the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But today, I want to discuss your faith, your faith, and my faith and my hope is that our faith is going to grow today and I'm going to focus mostly on that fifth expression of faith. Okay? Faith is continuing perseverance, continuing to endure and persevere in the face of intolerable circumstances, clinging to Jesus no matter what comes our way. Well, we're in the book of Hebrews. So let me ask, who is the book of Hebrews written to? The Hebrews, right? not a trick question, it was written to Jewish people, Hebrews, who at one point in their lives evidently had made a profession of faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, but apparently they were having some difficulty extricating themselves from the religious system that they'd been brought up in, after all, it was all that they had ever known. And perhaps some of you have experienced that. Maybe you too were brought up in an environment that emphasized the need to keep certain rules, a rule-keeping religious system so so that God would be happy with you and that God would bless you and so that God wouldn't punish you. We call that a performance-based religious system. That's the kind of system those folks were in. And maybe you grew up in that. Maybe that's all you knew. That was the air you breathed. That was the, the ocean you swam in. You didn't know there was anything else. But then, at some point in your life, you were exposed to the gospel of the grace of God. And you realized for the first time, perhaps, that there's something else. There's another way. There's a, there's a better way. And you were relieved to discover that the pressure was off. To have to try and be perfect all the time in order to please God because your mind was enlightened to the truth that Jesus was perfect for you, that Jesus lived the life you could never live. And then your eyes were opened to the reality that He loves you and He not only lived the life you could never live, but then he died the death you should have died and that I should have died, and, and, and you came to understand the beauty of that and, and the love that is in that, and your heart, heart was filled with faith and love in return for what Jesus had done to you, and you received his gift of forgiveness. You received his gift of righteousness, and it was fantastic. You believed, and things changed, and you began to follow the way of Jesus. But maybe, somewhere along the line in your life of following Christ, like these Jewish people, maybe you began to have some doubts. Maybe something happened. Maybe somebody who was supposed to be an example to you wasn't. Maybe someone who was supposed to be your protector wasn't. Maybe a friend or a family member went through something and you couldn't explain it. People knew you were a Christian, they looked to you for answers of why this horrific thing happened and you didn't have any answers and, and you were bewildered and befuddled in that moment or, or maybe you took some hits in some other ways. And so things you once felt so certain about, well, you, you just started to wonder and you kind of felt yourself slipping away. Maybe you even got to the point where you thought, maybe, maybe, maybe I'd be better off just letting go of all of this. I wonder if anybody has ever felt that. Well, these Hebrews, these Jewish people, were evidently being tempted in in that way. Some were having a crisis of faith. That's what we've heard it called. A crisis of faith. They were pulling away, and the writer of Hebrews wants to call them back. To call them back to faith in Jesus, to retrieve them for the gospel and for Jesus Christ. So he spends nine long chapters showing, in Hebrews, showing how the way of Jesus is better than the old way. And on into chapter 10 even. And then here at the end of chapter 10, he calls these people who felt themselves slipping away from faith to come back to persevere in their faith, to cling to Jesus all the way home. Listen as I read our passage for today, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. Remember, he writes, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted, this is stunning now, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Isn't that interesting? So do not throw away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. Would you say that with me? You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Then a couple of quotes from the Old Testament. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come, and he will not delay. Here's another one. But my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is God's word. Do you hear the passion in this call here? This call to stay faithful? You need to persevere, he says, even though it's hard. Jesus promised to come back, and he's going to come back and reward you So keep the faith. Believing in things you can't see, he says, is what pleases God. Don't throw it all away. You became a person of faith, remember? So continue on in that same confidence. Keep clinging to Jesus. All the way home, no matter what. Recently, you might might know this, the Christian world was kind of rocked back on its heels by the public defections of several high-profile professing Christians. You know about this? Got announced on social media, like everything does. One was a well-known Christian songwriter and worship leader with Hillsong. His name is Marty Sampson. He's written worship songs, led Thousands of believers in worship for many, many, many years. Last month, he posted on Instagram that he's losing his faith. And a couple days later, he posted that he no longer considers himself part of the Christian community. If that wasn't disturbing enough, Joshua Harris, that name might be familiar to you. Back in the 90s, he wrote a best-selling book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Influenced a lot of Christian teen culture and a lot of churches. He's been a prominent evangelical pastor and and author. He too went public and posted on social media that he no longer considers himself to be a Christian. Basically, now, I guess you could say, kissing Christianity goodbye. These guys gave their reasons for turning away from Christ. but, But my question is, what are we to make of this? How do we think about this? How do we process things like this? Josh Harris's defection in particular was very disturbing to me. I've got his book on theology in my office. I've I've read it. It's deep. It's good. Joshua Harris was personally mentored by a man named C.J. Mahaney who's a pastor, one of the men that God has used to turn the church back to being centered in the gospel. Josh Harris lived with him. He was mentored by him. He ended up succeeding him as the pastor of that church there in Maryland. He has a long history of influencing other people towards Jesus. What is going on with people like this who seemed at one time to be all in with Christ, influencing others for Jesus, but, but came to a point of losing their faith and, and feeling it necessary to, to forsake Christianity? Well, I have to confess, I don't really know all the answers to that question. To be honest, I don't really even like talking about it much here in this context. I want to be a pastor who promotes faith in Jesus Christ, not cast doubt on him by highlighting stories like this of, of defection. But this passage in Hebrews brings this very issue right to the surface. There's a lot of things I don't know, but here's what I do know to be true because I find it in the Bible. Let me give you a couple of my thoughts on this. First, many people have a crisis of faith moment in their lives. Did you know that? I would contend that the majority of Christian people at some point in their lives come to a crisis of faith of some kind. Even people in the Bible. Even several of Jesus' own followers, right? His disciples came to a point of having doubts about the whole thing. I think of a man named Thomas, who walked with Jesus, but came to a point of saying, look, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, I'm not going to believe that he rose from the dead. Thomas lived with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He heard Jesus say, they're going to put me to death, and I'm going to rise from the grave. And yet he came to a, a moment of a crisis of faith, I think of John the Baptist, whom Jesus referred to as the greatest man who'd ever lived up to that point. He had his own crisis of faith in prison, right? Jesus did not deliver him from prison, and he came to this point where he he thought, I wonder if Jesus really is the Messiah, or if we should be looking for somebody else. I think of Peter, whose crisis of faith culminated in him one night warming his hands at the wrong fire. And basically saying, I don't know Jesus. I don't know a man. Listen, there's nothing particularly evil or wrong with having a crisis of faith. It's where you go from there that matters the most. And thank God, those, those men, those disciples were, were retrieved by Christ. It's the path you choose in response to your crisis of faith that is the ter- determining factor. The second thing I would say, the second thing I know to be true, is that not everybody who professes faith in Christ was actually truly converted to Christianity. Did you know that? Not everyone who prays a salvation prayer is genuinely born again. That's very sobering to think about. The Bible is very clear that there are possessors of faith and there are professors of Faith. Jesus spoke about this a lot. Remember when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven? Do you recall Jesus teaching about the wheat and the tares that visually look very similar but will meet a different outcome? Think about about Judas for a minute. He was in the group. He was in Jesus' small group. He did life with Jesus. He walked with Jesus, he talked with Jesus, he knew the lingo, he looked like a disciple, but in time he was shown to be what? A phony, not the real deal, a professor, but not a possessor of eternal life. It was all a sham and he ended up defecting and falling away. I think about a guy who I've had preach here about a decade ago. He's preached right here from this platform several times. Today, I'm very, very worried about him. He went through his own crisis of faith. and By all indications, from what I can tell, he has let go of biblical Christianity. He has defected from the Christian faith that he once preached and said he believed. This phenomenon is real. It's a real thing, it's sad. There are people I love dearly who at one time prayed a prayer to receive Christ, but now they're far from Jesus and not very much interested in Christian things at all. The Bible has a word for this, do you know what it is? Apostasy is the word, apostasy. These people apostatized. they departed, they fell away. It's very, very sad. First John says it like this, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would not have gone out from us. But I would also say this, I believe this to be true from the scriptures, true believers, true genuine believers will not, will not finally and irrevocably turn away from Christ. If they do have a crisis of faith moment, if they do have a crisis of faith season, if they are true believers, they will eventually turn back to Jesus before they enter into eternity if they are truly born again. That means that we should never look at a snapshot of someone's life in any given moment and render judgment on them and say, they're just, they're just lost There's no hope for them. We should never, ever do that. That's premature. As long as they've got breath in their lungs, there's hope, right? For some of us, those those are some of the impossible things we're praying to God for, that God would bring them back, bring them back, bring them back. They can come back to faith in Jesus. And then the fourth thing I know to be true is that those people who feel themselves slipping away from faith feel themselves being overcome with doubt, they would do well to restore their faith as soon as possible, and they can do that by heeding the call that's found here in Hebrews chapter 10. It's a call to remain faithful. Notice that it's threefold. There's a past aspect, there's a future aspect, and there's a present aspect. To summarize it, he says, recall your devotion in the past, envision your reward in the future, and then refocus your mind in the present. And it occurs to me that maybe, just maybe, this, what I'm talking about today, is for somebody who's sitting here in this room. Maybe you're one who would say, Pastor Steve, I feel myself slipping away. Things have happened. I've got doubts. I'm I'm not sure I can hang on to my faith. Help! Help! We're in the right place today because faith comes from hearing the word of God and here's what the word of God says to you today. First, if you feel yourself slipping away from faith, recall your devotion in the past. Bring to mind those early evidences of your newfound faith. That's what the writer says. Let me read this again. Remember Verse 32, remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were treated like that. You suffered along with those in prison. Sidebar, we are exploring options and opportunities for ministering more heavily in local area prisons because this is close to the heart of Jesus. If you'd like more information about that, write prison, prison, somewhere on your connection card. Sidebar over. (laughs) You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. You were a person of faith. Listen, how does a person who's wavering in their faith reclaim strong confidence in God? How do you regain your footing when you feel yourself slip, sliding away? Remember that song by Paul Simon? Slip, sliding away. (laughs) We'll, We'll end that there. This happens to people. They feel themselves sliding away from Christ. What do you do? How can somebody with doubts assure their heart that they really are a true Christian. Do you go back and try to remember the exact words you prayed to Christ when you prayed that salvation prayer? Is that what you're supposed to do? Do you try to remember how sincere you were at the time? No, the better path to being sure you're a true person of faith, it says here, is to find, to look for evidence. From those early days, after you had received the light, to look back into your life history And look for proof in your past that your heart was indeed changed by Christ, that your lifestyle and values reflected his. Do you have a history with God? For those Jewish people, the writer points to several of the evidences from their early days as new converts. Did you pick up on these? They endured through struggles and persecution. They were willing to identify with other people and associate with others who were being harassed for their faith. They had compassion on suffering people. They counted it a privilege to sacrifice for Jesus. They had a belief in heaven and heavenly rewards. So yes, he says look back, but he he doesn't say to try to remember if you prayed the prayer correctly. He says recall to mind your early days of walking with Jesus. Remember how your lifestyle gave evidence that you were really in Christ. The Bible always talks like this. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. There will be evidence. There will be marks. There will be proof. And I think this is a good and helpful word to us today. Our faith now, here in the present, can be affirmed and strengthened by recalling our past history with God, by recalling God moments, God sightings, God stories. I've got some of those God stories. Do you? I love hearing people's God stories. I ask people all the time to share their stories with me. I love love hearing them, and I do that not just because I'm curious, although I am curious, but I also do that because I know it's good and strengthening for people to recall and verbalize how Christ was so real to them, how their faith showed up in their lifestyle. And for me, for myself, whenever I'm feeling deflated or down or disheartened about things or about me I go back in my mind to those God moments I've got them written down in my in my journals I know some of you keep a journal or a spiritual diary where you write things down I go back to those and I relive them in my mind and it bolsters my faith now it solidifies in my own heart that I do belong to Christ he does live in me I do belong to him he's he's alive and I am a real Christian And so I would ask you, how about you? How about you? When you think back on your life, was there ever anything real there? Was there any proof that God was living in you? Do you have any memory of overflowing joy? Do you have any recollection of kindred spiritedness with other of God's people? Was there any love for the word of God? Was there a desire to live for Jesus? Was there a contagious Faith you just wanted to share with other people, was there a desire to live a holy life that was pure? Was there any disgust with sin and with the ways of the world? Was there a desire to share your faith with others? And if you take that kind of a personal inventory and your answer is yes, yes, I see evidence, I see proof, I say fantastic, let that assure your heart now that you really are in Christ that you really are a person of faith. Let that keep you on his path despite your current circumstances. But if you look back at your life and you see very little or no evidence that Jesus was ever really real to you, then I say this to you, trust in Christ today. Amen? Amen. Trust in Christ today. Make it real now, it's not too late. So he says take a moment and look back Recall those early days, right after you made your profession of faith in Christ. Look for proof that your heart was genuinely changed. Let that encourage your heart now. And then a second call, not only look back, but look ahead, look forward. He alluded to this there in verse 34 when he said, You endured all that suffering in life because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. What was he talking about? Heaven. So, second, this is a call to envision your reward in the future. To transport yourself forward in your mind to Christ's coming and the reward that he promises to give all whose confident faith remains until the very end. You say, Where do you get that? Well, verse 35 So do not throw away your confidence, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. That's talking about the end of your life on earth. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come, and he won't delay. And But my righteous one will live by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. So let me ask you this. Do you believe Jesus is gonna come back one day? Do you? You know, it's been a long time. There's been a delay, it's been 20 centuries since those angels looked at those bewildered disciples on the hillside who were looking, gawking up into the heavens when those angels said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go. As Christians, this is one of those unseen things, right, that we believe in, the return of Jesus for his people and the rewards that he's going to give all of those whose faith remains intact to the very end. And so the writer of Hebrews here challenges those people who have been worn down by hardship and persecution who might even be wondering if it's worth it to keep their faith. He says, use your imagination, transport yourself into the future that day when you'll look into the eyes of Jesus Christ for the very first time and you will see pleasure in them. What a day that will be. And so I'm thinking of that person who's sitting in the room here right now, who's in a season of struggle, like right now, you're in it. Maybe things in life just haven't turned out the way you thought they were going to turn out. Maybe in your honest moments you would even say that you're disappointed in God. He hasn't come through for you in your mind. Maybe you've thought even about cashing out and trying something else It's not working for me. If that describes you today, I ask you to just take a moment and envision that day when Jesus, Jesus, will call you up in front of a vast cloud of witnesses, millions of people, and to everyone present he will announce, this here is John. I tell all of you that John's faith in me was real. It was proven by his endurance to the very end. Even though John didn't completely understand my plan in its fullness, John decided to keep trusting me Anyway, I commend you for that, John. I am so proud of you. Can you imagine the roar from the crowd? And then this here is Mary. This is Mary. Her faith in me was also genuine, and despite being viewed as somewhat of an outcast during her life on the earth, despite being ridiculed and scorned and made fun of for being a Christian, despite it costing Mary some popularity with the crowd, Mary hung in there with me even though she couldn't see me. And I am so proud of you, Mary. Here is your reward, my precious daughter. Here are your eternal possessions that you will keep and enjoy forever, that will never wear out, that will, that will never rust, that will never lose their luster. They're yours to enjoy forever. And now, beloved ones, let's all go, go into the great banquet together and let's eat. Yeah. Yeah listen, that is what the Bible promises to those people of faith who endure to the end. It's very clear in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is pleased with faith that perseveres, that he's proud of our faith, that one day he will reward our faith if it endures to the very end of our lives. It does say that he takes no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, however, and we should take that as a warning, don't you think, and a a strong incentive to keep our faith and do whatever it takes to not fall away and not apostatize like those guys I mentioned earlier. And so the writer says, if you're struggling in your faith, look back and recall those early days of loving Jesus and his people, be encouraged that your faith is real, and look ahead and think about that day when your faith will be made sight and you will be so glad that you finished your race well. And then... Finally, he directs us, wherever we're at in our present situation, not just to look back and look ahead, but to look at the word of God, to take special note of what God has said to be true of us. In essence, number three, he says, refocus your mind in the present, remember who you are, and declare your true identity. I get that from verse 39 where it says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, We belong to those who have faith and are saved. It was just this week, I was talking to a church member here at New Life, and this church member was struggling with some things in her past. And specifically, she was struggling with some lingering anger towards church leaders and a church that she believed wronged her 30 years ago. Remember a few weeks ago, I came up the end and I said, God is talking to some of you about releasing and forgiving church leadership that hurt you many years ago. Well, she was, she, there's been several who've come to me, and she came to me this week and says, That's me. I've been harboring anger towards that church and towards those leaders for 30 years, and I've come to also realize I'm angry at God too. She'd harbored resentment. We had a great talk, and in the process of getting freed up from all of that, I told her that often we need to hear ourselves speak truth and say it aloud. We need to hear it in our own voice. We need to hear ourselves in our own voice making declarations of faith. In her case, declarations of renouncing some lies that she had believed through those years. Also declaring her authority in Christ to break the chains that had bound her I read her this verse from 2 Corinthians 4 that says this, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. And that's what we see here in verse 39. It's it's a refocusing of our minds on what God says about us and a faith-filled declaring of our true identity in Christ. This is actually what I do by faith when I feel beaten down or worn out or that I'm losing my footing, which does happen to me on occasion. What I do in those moments is this I get alone in a place where no one's going to think I'm weird, and I start, start to say stuff, I start to speak out loud. So that I hear it in my own voice, so that God hears it coming from my own lips, and so that any enemy forces who are eavesdropping hear it. You say, What do you say? Well, Brett basically stole my thunder earlier. I say all that and more. I say, Lord Jesus Christ, I declare that I am yours. You bought me. You purchased me with your own blood. I am yours. I belong to you. You're my master. I'm your servant. I will serve no other. I speak to the evil one. I don't know if you do this, but I do. I say, Satan, I want no part of you. Like nothing. I, I stand with Jesus Christ. I stand against you. I know where you take people who follow you. My master promises me a glorious eternal future with him and his family forever, so I will never serve you. Just I'm a lost cause as far as you're concerned. I tell him that. You didn't die for my sins, Satan. You didn't die for me, but my Lord Jesus Christ died for me. Unlike you, he loves me, and I declare that I am bound to Jesus by faith. I'm united with him in his death, and burial, and resurrection, and ascension. I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I declare that I'm saved, born again, regenerated, washed in the blood, redeemed, ransomed, justified. I have the righteousness of God. I'm forgiven of all my sins, adopted into his forever family. I declare that I am now a son of the living God. I'm not an orphan. I'm not crouching outside the windowsill hoping for a few scraps to be thrown my way. I'm not a slave who has no standing in the family. I am a son of the Most High God. I got a seat at the family table. Little reservations, got my name on it right there. I belong there. I've been adopted into the family. and I have all the rights and privileges of sonship. See this? just declaring unseen, invisible things that God said to actually be true of me. I feel my faith bolstered just by saying it, just now. Like, this is who I am. And when I I hear myself say it out loud in my own voice, it emboldens me, it builds my faith. It gives me strong confidence that I am in the family. There have been several times in my life, some as recently as last year, you might recall, When I was about ready to cash out and say, I'm done. But by the grace of God and by the encouragement of brothers and sisters in the family, I had the presence of mind to do this, to declare out loud my true identity. And I'm glad to tell you it had the effect of pulling me out of the pit and setting my feet on solid ground. This is one way faith is strengthened, church, by verbalizing it. I believe, therefore I have spoken. We need to hear ourselves say it and confess it and declare it out loud. The writer of Hebrews does this here as an encouragement, but also as an example. He says, look, here's who we are. We don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. No, no, we belong to those who have faith and are saved. We are people of faith. We believe what God says about us over what others say about us, over what we ourselves might think about us. You know, the truest truth about you is what God says about you. It's true. We believe in unseen things. And if God said they're real, then we live and speak as if they are real. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, amen, and assurance about what we do not see. It's seeing the unseen and declaring it to be true. And then it says in verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. And someone asked me, what's that mean? And the ancients It's talking about the ancient people who are all listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Those were the ancients that were commended for their faith, for having confidence in what they hoped for and assurance about what was invisible to their eyes, their physical eyes. This is what the ancients were commended for. That tells us that we're not alone in this journey of faith. Amen? We're not alone. We have each other. Beyond that, there were thousands and thousands of people down through the ages who believed what God said, and as a result, they persevered to the end of their race. And now they are among the great cloud of witnesses who are cheering us on today in our race. Did you know that? Did you know there's a cloud of witnesses? Abraham and Moses and Sarah and Rahab and, and others who are, cheer, who are rooting for you. Yeah, who are pulling for you. That's what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12. They're, they're saying, you can do this. We did it by the grace of God. You can do it too. They know what we need to know, that this is the kind of faith that is commendable and rewardable by God. Well, sometimes sermons don't go where you thought they were going to go, and this sermon went to a different place than I thought it was going to go when I first started it, but here's where we, here's where we land, and so I want to talk to several groups of people right now and ask you to respond. How many, is it, how many of you would say, this is what I needed to hear today, Steve, this is what I needed to hear this today, I need to hear about speaking out my identity in Christ, amen. Amen. I need to hear it today. <laughs> to declare what I believe, to declare it with my mouth to be true. Amen. Maybe you're here and you're saying, Steve. I, honestly, I'm struggling in my faith these days. I'm not sure I can hold on. Things have happened that's taken the wind out of my sails. I'm I'm sinking. Help. And if that's you, I'm asking you. <laughs> to come and receive prayer from a prayer partner in just a few moments. Don't don't make the mistake that you'll regret of letting the evil one take you down that path. Come, hear hear a brother or sister pray over you. Feel their, their touch on your shoulders, okay? Maybe you're one who would say, you know, Steve, now that I think about it, I'm not sure I was ever truly saved. When I, when I do that inventory of my life that you talked about, I don't see a lot of proof. I don't see a lot of evidence. And if that's where you're at today, that's okay. It's important to just acknowledge the truth of, of your status before the Lord. But I would love to lead you in a prayer of salvation today. So I'm going to be down here afterwards. If you're one who who's not sure you're truly a born-again Christian person, I- I'll love, I'd love to pray with you and guide you in a prayer of faith to Jesus to save you. And I hope there's a lot of you who are saying, Steve, there are some impossible things that God has placed on my heart to ask him for. Pray that I will have faith to do that. So if I read quick, I got, I'm gonna read you a story here. I've been collecting these stories of people in our church who've seen God do impossible things, Okay? So here's one from a gal in our church. She wrote, Our marriage was irreparably broken. In a human sense, there was no hope. My husband's heart was completely closed off. Not only to me, he closed himself off from the community of believers as well. Anyone he talked with agreed that his mind was made up, he was going to leave me, he was going to divorce me. And as I started to think about and imagine our family being all broken up, it destroyed me. Jesus was the only thing that anchored me and kept me from absolutely crumbling. But, (laughs) love that, while we were separated and unbeknownst to each other, God was orchestrating a series of events that put us on parallel paths. While we were apart, God was breaking us both down and forcing us to look at some very hard and painful truths about ourselves that had contributed to the breakdown of our marriage he was causing us to cling to him like never before. He was doing a work separately in each of us that was necessary in order to put sin to death so that we could follow him more fully. My husband and I were turned away from each other. It seemed like we were complete strangers or worse yet, at enemy, we were enemies at times. But two months into this painful trial that looked destined to end in divorce, the God of the impossible softened my husband's heart towards me. And simply told him on one occasion to come to me and tell me that he loved me. He tried to ignore that, but God weighed so heavily on his heart that he eventually couldn't ignore it. He tells me the story now of walking up the stairs, feeling as if it wasn't even by his own choice or volition. And he came to me and he told me that he loved me. And that day started a healing and a brand new marriage And hearts recommitted to Christ, forever grateful to God for what only he could do. She added this postscript. Just days before my husband shocked me by telling me he was leaving, a complete stranger had emailed me this verse, Matthew 19, 26. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. God sent me this verse to hold on to, and it continues to carry me through. He is our only hope. The God of the impossible still does impossible things. Amen? Amen. 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 Would you bow your heads with me? I am going to ask our prayer partners to come and be ready to pray with you, especially those of you who feel your faith sagging or sinking. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you call us to be people of faith, that you can grow our faith, Lord, even if... We feel we only have little faith. It can grow. It can be developed. And I pray towards that end today for all of the precious people who sit before me, Lord. Would you grow our faith? Would you teach us what it means to live by faith? Would you help us to speak out words of faith based on the word of God? Lord, for any in this room who are struggling in their faith, Lord, would you prompt them even in these next few moments to come and be prayed for and to feel the strength of God, come into their hearts. For any who are not truly saved or not sure that they are, may they come and let me guide them in a prayer of salvation, Lord, a prayer of faith. We thank you for the cloud of witnesses cheering us on, rooting for us, Lord. It's so encouraging to know that. We offer these next few moments to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.